we're, uh, we're here gathered with a group of investors and specialists to talk about due diligence. Um, what I thought would make sense, given the time that we have, is to uh, introduce myself again briefly, ask everyone to spend a minute or so just giving you uh, context for their background and their experience and kind of what makes them uh, tick as it relates to due diligence. Again, I'm Mike Ryan. I have a family office that I have been investing, uh, you know, primarily uh, in direct investments, uh, venture, private equity, and, and real estate, some funds. Um, and I was also uh, a partner at Goldman Sachs for about uh, eight or nine years from the time of the IPO until afterward, and then managed some money for Harvard University. Uh, I managed about $18 billion for Harvard, and of that, about 12 billion was allocated to other managers and 6 billion was directly invested. And so in that role, I had the uh, opportunity to work with uh, outside managers and due diligence on funds. But most of my life, as you can tell if you recall from my talk, is direct investment. And my real passion is evaluating uh, companies and deals directly. And that's the kind of diligence that I probably spend most of my time on. Hi. Uh, my name is Mark Young. Let's try that again. Can you hear me? Okay, great. So I'm Mark Young. I'm with Bridgepoint Capital. We do healthcare private equity investing, and we do uh, investing through what we call a pledge fund structure. My previous experiences include McKinsey and Company's investment office. If you haven't heard of them, think of Bain Capital, who spun out of Bain Consulting. So they've been running partner money for over 30 years. Um, subsequent to that, I was working for a family office for a gentleman, David Lincoln, who owns Lincoln Electric, if that's of anybody's knowledge. And I'm now doing healthcare private equity. So I've seen from the McKinsey side the due diligence on hedge funds and as well as my stints at Catterton Partners, David Lincoln and Bridgepoint, investing and due diligence on private companies. Thank you, Mark. Hi, Jeff Gitterman. I oversee a billion and a half dollar RIA that specializes in sustainable and impact investment strategies, especially climate risk adaptation. Good week for that, if you've seen the UN. Um, we also advise most of the large asset management firms in Europe and the United States on those strategies, and we run the Family Office Summit at the United Nations and the Wealth Management Summit at the United Nations. Uh, Family Office Summit was last Thursday, and the Wealth Management Summit is December 10th. Hi, I'm Michael Scott. I'm founder of Cannapreneur Partners, which is a holding company specifically and purely focused in cannabis investments. Uh, we're pivoting to a multifamily office approach and more on the advisory side of things. My background is uh, almost two decades as a private wealth advisor uh, and entrepreneur. About uh, eight years ago, we just started you know, launching various businesses, getting involved entrepreneurially, and now we kind of mix those two backgrounds in the cannabis space. Been in it about three years. Uh, here on the East Coast, we're early adopters to it, and it's been very explosive for us. Hi, Kevin McGovern. Uh, we're a single family office, and uh, we've been a founder uh, in about 30 companies. Uh, nine have returned 15 times or better. We've done business in about 80 countries, so we've had a lot of experience running around the world. Uh, and we basically specialize in consumer product technologies, whether it's water filters, skincare, we brought AHAs to the world, 
uh, beverages. We founded Sobe. We're in about five beverage deals now. Cold brew coffee is our specialty right now. Uh, we've been involved with medical cannabis, cannabis, Israel, Canada. Thailand is our newest opportunity. Uh, we catch the current. We, we make the wave. And so we do edgy things. We're an investor in six esports teams. And we've been in esports now for three and a half years. We were first involved, we were sort of pioneers. And now everybody talks about it. But in the early stages, it was, was a little bit of an experiment. Lastly is drug development. We just got involved with a couple of drugs that are really pretty, pretty cool. So we can talk about them if we have time today. Thank you. Hi, my name is Barry Cohen. Um, my specialty over 25 years has mostly been in the global fig space, uh, covering the entire sector, all through the cap structure, both private as well as public, uh, as well as some technology and consumer. Uh, worked at such notables as uh, Maverick, Omega, uh, did the specialty investment group at Merrill, about 10 billion under us. Uh, now work for a private family office in New York. Hi, um, I'm Augustine Krishnawah USA. I'm with uh, Horizon Kinetics. Um, Horizon Kinetics, in short, is a contrarian opportunistic investment firm um, run by Murray Stahl, our chairman. Uh, Murray brought me in about 10 years ago, and prior to that, I was with JB Morgan and Goldman Sachs in the asset management business, um, specifically in the outsourced CIO. Um, operations, so um, you know, very kind of uh, in line with the topic that we have today in terms of due diligence. Um, in recent years, um, we actually have been um, harvesting a lot of our public market portfolios in the effort of raising a lot of dry powder. Um, and with dry powder, um, we have a lot of cash. And the biggest enemy to cash, in our mind, is debasement actions from central banks around the world. Um, so we wanted to protect the purchasing power of our fiat. Um, in our case, is the US dollar. Um, and that brought us to our research and investments into um, cryptocurrencies. In 2016, we um, started our research and also investments in cryptocurrencies, um, primarily in a few um, cryptocurrencies with uh, sensible monetary policy. So these are cryptocurrencies with fixed money supplies or even declining money supplies. So again, as a hedge um, from the debasement actions from central banks around the world. So we did that in 2016. And shortly thereafter, we started our cryptocurrency mining operations as a way to create or acquire the coins at a cheaper price and also to convert the profit margin from the cost of mining it to the price that you can get from selling it as a source of income. Great. So hopefully everybody got a good sense for the panel. We have a lot of expertise here over you know long periods of time in lots of areas. Um, and a lot of this panel is going to be uh, devoted to you and your questions. So you can think about you know what we've already heard. But let me just you know get it started. I mean, we're talking about due diligence here. We're talking about figuring out how you research and decide to proceed and you know, what kinds of pitfalls uh, you're looking out for or kind of process you're using to uh, make a good decision and, and keep your, your money safe. We're not talking right now about sourcing or other elements of, of the, the process chain. So with that in mind, maybe Kevin, I'll start with you. Uh, you've had a very diverse experience and I'm curious, you know, how does the environment feel to you right now in terms of pitfalls or, you know, when you are looking or diligencing 
either an area that you're familiar with that you've been in for years, uh, a three-year-old area like uh, eSports or a new area, how does the environment feel to you and then how does that play into uh, the kind of diligence that you and your team does? Like everything else, it's segment, segmented. You know, some environments are robust. I mean, healthcare is, is going crazy right now and there's plenty of opportunities. Cannabis is slowing down and there's a, a definite, you know, uh, del deal to reality, a flight to quality in Canada as well as the U.S. In, in Europe, it's going crazy. It's, it's very, very hot. In Asia, it's very hot. We just got back and we're doing some business over there. But to be answering your question, it's really segmented. The environment is really, you know, what you're investing in. We just heard some people talking about real estate peaking, et cetera. So we really, we got to find out. We re what, the first question we got to ask is, is this a fad or is it a trend? And you know, we really, we really look and do our due diligence. We can talk, we'll give you more due diligence later. But the first thing we're looking at is we're looking at locations, people, segments, et cetera. Is this a fad or a trend? Is this truly a trend? If it's a trend, you know, again, our expression is catch the current, make the wave. We've made a lot of waves and we want to see if we can make more. Great. Uh, we'll just stick with cannabis since it came up. And uh, we happen to have Michael here who spends a lot of time in cannabis. For people that are newer to cannabis, and particularly who may have just heard the first comment about cannabis cooling and lots of regulatory changes, lots of regulatory just questions or concerns that people have, but yet a lot of excitement and maybe a wave. So give us your framework for how you personally do it as an expert, and then how someone who's new to the space might get started in thinking about diligencing cannabis or a cannabis investment. Sure. Uh, cannabis is uh, it's an interesting sector. So I've got a familiarity with three sectors now, financial services, the fitness industry, and cannabis. And cannabis has been 80% of my focus for the last three years. It is undeniably explosive. Uh, the, the ROI we've created in the last three years eclipses what we've done in the previous 17. Uh, however, it's a very unique landscape to that, right? So three years ago when we first got into the space, you had to really, here on the East Coast, look out for the illegal operators. I mean, you had to look out for the, you know, the gray market operators that were pretending to be completely legal. Uh, you know, obviously we're not willing to risk our reputation or our brand, so we had to put unique measures in place. So things like utilizing very, very good background agencies such as CSI, you know, so we'll invest 300 to 1200 dollars per person on an executive team to really vet them to find out, okay, is there a clean background and track record? Uh, you know, so that's one of the big things or one of the nuances. The other thing I'll tell you, there's a uniqueness in the cannabis industry, uh, unlike what I've experienced in the other ones, is there's a ton of uncertainty because of regulatory uncertainty, right? So for example, it just broke news a few hours ago, Massachusetts just banned vaping across the entire state for four months while they figure out what's going on in the vaping world. So, you know, that is going to cause an immediate curveball to a lot of uh, entrepreneurs in that state. And if they don't have the emotional intelligence to deal with the fact that, A, we're dealing with a market that's federally illegal, and two, you have to be prepared for uncertainty. So one of the things that we also will vet for, in addition to the traditional things, you know, like team, track record of success, et cetera, it's we're looking for emotional intelligence. Do they have it? Uh, integrity, those are core things that we're certainly vetting for in the space. Thanks. 
moving on to uh, another area that's very, very topical, ESG. We have some real ESG experience on the panel, and I think everybody has a perspective on it as well. But you know, perhaps just starting with Jeff, who you know, spoke about it, in the context of family offices specifically, uh, if they are either fully committed to an ESG orientation or just dabbling, just starting to think about organizing their activities with ESG in mind, what do you tell them they should do first? And then how do you help them through the process of making sure they get good investment returns even while they're getting you know, good social scores? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is that ESG is just kind of a broad stroke that you could put on anything in any market, actually. So it's not exclusionary. It's not socially responsible investing. It's literally just trying to buy best in class of any investment category that you could ever think of. So if a family is talking about wanting to be more sustainable, we probably spend more time in the beginning just figuring out what that actually means for that family because it could be completely nuanced. You could be wanting to be sustainable around food and ag or you might have poverty as an issue that you want to address or you might have um, the epidemic in opioids. So each family tends to have a specific theme. A lot of that lately is driven by actually the kids of the family. So a lot of times if we're speaking to a family, it's actually a, I don't want to say a pet project, but, but it's a theme that the kids are driving. So it might be around climate change or opioid or hunger or recycling. So the first thing is to define that. And then the landscape is kind of littered with bad actors and lots of projects coming to the market that don't ever get funded and that whole sub $25 million raise space is really incredibly difficult to fund. So there's lots and lots and lots of people looking for funding. We start with a 33 page due diligence questionnaire, background checks on actors in that space. What is the landscape? What is the trend? What is the science behind it? Is the trend supporting it? Um, we spent five years just going through all the climate science research just so that we can come up with our own theme and understanding of what we saw in that space. But again, with the family, it's pick your theme first and then subset from that theme into the investment space that you want. Start with a really good due diligence questionnaire and then go from there. And then we also do a lot of work with the UN which does have frameworks and SASB, if you haven't heard of it, it's a Sustainable Accounting Standards Board. So there are frameworks and metrics out there that can support the work that the family's doing. Thanks, and uh, Mark, I'm gonna start on a topic, not healthcare, although we'll certainly cir circle back to that because I know that's your, your core focus, but you have a lot of experience in international markets, international investing, international matters, both at, at McKinsey uh, and at El Catterton, I think, in the emerging market. So if you're looking at an opportunity or diligencing an investment outside the U.S., are there any tricks of the trade or you know, scar tissue experiences that you can share with the group that will help uh, the rest of us uh, learn from your experience? You mean from my mistakes? <laughs> uh, we'd be here for hours if I went over that theme. But I will just say... At a very high level, a couple of things that have been said before but to reinforce that, and then I'll tailor it to emerging markets, particularly for Catterton, we were investing in Latin America, which has its own unique challenges. But it really starts top down, what verticals do you want to be in? And as an example with Catterton, 
their consumer growth investors. But as an example, the pet space was one of the best spaces they touched. It, it was magic. So, so you start with the verticals you want to be in. And then the next thing, it's people product opportunity. And it's people first because if you don't have the right people, all bad things happen. You could be in the right vertical, but if you don't have the right people that can navigate the future stormy waters, you have bad outcomes. Um, when it comes to Latin America, it's challenging to do the diligence on people. Unlike the US, you have credit rating agencies, you have access to people's track records, et cetera. It's not so easy when you're in places like Latin America, believe me, it's, it's challenging. Yeah, there are people you can go to that can dig up a lot of information, but it's not easy. And I would just say one other thing, as a lesson learned, it is a scar, but people are very skilled at avoiding taxes in, in, in emerging markets. So as an example, we had a company in the pet space that was the second largest, well, it was a large pet company in, in Mexico, and they literally had three sets of books. And as an example, they had a partnership with the software company doing the accounting, so they were in on the fraud, and literally they would turn off the machine at four o'clock, and from four to eight, that money never hit the books, and they had someone go around and collect the cash that would be from four to eight, and it would go in the safe in the corporate headquarters. But that's how sophisticated the frauds are, but when you're dealing in emerging markets, this is what you're dealing with, three sets of books. Can I just add one thing that's really important? If you don't have cover in emerging markets, don't do business. And what cover means is you got the military, the business, and the government. Sooner or later, they're gonna put your hand out to you, and unless your partner is well ensconced in that, that's why we do a lot of family office conferences around the world, and we participate in them. If you don't have cover, don't do business in emerging markets, particularly if you're a small, medium-sized business. It ain't gonna work, because sooner or later, somebody or many people are gonna have a hand out to you. The corruption card is probably the biggest card you gotta play with in international markets. Thank you. A um, couple more quick ones and just uh, about 15 minutes left in the panel and in a couple we're going to turn it to you. So if you have a question, you can think about who you want to direct it to and get it ready. But Augustine, um, you mentioned that you have made a big play in crypto uh, and I think you mentioned the genesis of that was you were liquidating and found yourself with a lot of cash. Um, whether it's related to your views on crypto specifically or just markets generally with the world as it is, you know, 17 billion of trillion of assets with negative yield, most people thinking that venture and private equity and real estate and public stock valuations on average are high, maybe not uh, each company, but on average. How do you think about investing in that climate where certain things appear rich, other things are very volatile, some things are low or negative yielding? What is your compass for dealing with that? Just be aware about it. <laughs> um, I mean, you you know, raise a very good point. I mean, we are now seeing um, European corporate bonds, right, being issued at a stated negative coupon. I mean, and people are actually buying them. So we're in that kind of climate. And interest rate, if we all remember our um, net present value calculation, is pretty much gravity to equity valuation. So yeah, you can justify equity valuations to be extremely high relative to history because interest rate is low, it's record low. But in light of that environment, there's a limit in terms of how much further 
the central banks around the world can further reduce interest rates, right? So, you know, we could have been um, probably a little bit, um, we could have waited probably to harvest gains from our public market portfolios, but we'd rather be early. And with cash, you know, the, the largest um, kind of erosion to the value of your fiat is again, um, debasement, right? And the control of debasement comes from central banks. And that really brought us into cryptocurrencies because the invention of blockchain really allows for the first time to have um, currencies with um, decentralized monetary policy and fixed money supply. And, um, you know, we are happy with our exposure. Despite the volatility, you can actually mitigate the risk um, by sizing it accordingly is the type of investments um, that has you know, a very lopsided return potential, right? So a little bit goes a long way, and that's how we size it within our portfolio. Great, and then uh, Barry, just real briefly, I think you mentioned that you do a lot of direct equity placement in your family office, or you participate in that. So if that's of interest and you want to discuss how you think about diligencing direct equity placements, that'd be great. If not, maybe just talk about FinTech or financial things come your background. Yeah, sure. I mean, so direct equity placement is, I mean, there's a playbook to it. We all probably pretty much know what the playbook is. And, um, you know, if I had any words of wisdom or pearls of wisdom, I would say um, you really, you actually should actually not look at it as the boring part of the investment process. Most people do. Everybody likes to go to the country club and tell you what great deal they just did or the great deal they just exited, right? I mean, nobody likes to tell you about the 30 hours they spent going over someone's general ledger, right? <laughs> so I would actually say, don't make it boring, be really creative, right? And just as an allegory, we, we were doing um, diligence on a deal, and I won't mention who it was, uh, but it was a, uh, a private educational provider. And we had some uh, suspect questions right off the get-go uh, about some stuff. And so me and one of the, my partners, we actually dressed up as day workers. Um, we were in a state that allowed us to do something legally, and we went in. We failed the exam purposefully, which wasn't hard. Um, and we taped the pitch for getting us to take out loans to go to the school at exaggerated rates. And um, if, if you really want to do this, you really better want to do this, is what I'm saying. Like, you know, find what you like and spend the time. Uh, we've, I've done a lot of work in crypto, too, so I was really, and some of the currencies, people, they're just going away, just don't even bother with it. And you have to figure out what really is a currency versus what's maybe, you know, a smart contract platform or an escrow account platform. Um, the dApps, most of them are garbage, right? Like they're just kind of nonsensical things whose mon internal monetary system will self-destruct it, it invariably anyway. And they, have, they serve no functional purpose anyway. Um, but the arms dealer in the space, those are, those are quintessential VC investments. Those, those are really actually quite interesting. Um, and DeFi, for those people who aren't familiar with DeFi, it's decentralized finance. Um, doing 30 years in finance. DeFi is, I don't know how far deep it goes, but it's, it's pretty real and it could be really, really interesting. And um, also kind of the whole concept of identity and privacy using the blockchain for that. Some people talk about self-sovereignty. I'm not so sure I would think that you're an island on yourself. But, um, but, but the whole privacy thing is, is significant. Um, and you could see this with Facebook. You could see it with your cell phone, right? There's a real turn that's kind of happening 
from a societal perspective. Because just remember, if it's free, you're the product. Great. Well, listen, I'm going to uh, take some questions from the audience. If there are any, I want you to raise your hand and uh, say it as loudly as you can, and I'll repeat it for the audience. If there aren't, I can continue to ask questions, but I'd rather hear from you and take advantage of the wisdom of this panel with things that are on your mind. Anyone have a question that they want to address to the panelists? All right, well, we're going to go right back to healthcare. So I, I warned that we would. Uh, healthcare is an exciting area. It's also, I think, uh, notoriously challenging to research and diligence because there's a lot of science involved and then there's a lot of regulation and commercialization deals and so forth. So perhaps uh, we'll start here, Mark, with you. How do you start the process of diligence and decision making on something with all those different elements of complexity? Well, you give me an easy question to answer. Thank you. Um, you have to have your advisors, I'll say smarter people than yourself, because I am not a scientist, although I did launch and took public a neuroscience biotechnology company, and it was a success, but I will tell you I am not a neuroscientist, but we see a lot of, uh, I'll say, transactions in the healthcare space, so we have our networks that we go to. So we have a scientific advisory board that has uh, some very smart people on it. We have other networks that we also leverage. There's something called SAPA, which stands for Sino-American Professional Pharmaceutical Association, 6,000 member scientists organization that's working in big pharma and big biotech. Uh, we have relationship with academic universities, including Columbia and John Hopkins. So we vet our science, and I will tell you, scientists, if you're a PhD, and I don't know if there's any PhDs in the audience, but they're really smart, but they're very narrow in what they know. So if you find the right PhDs in the subject matter you're looking at, very quickly they can give you good insights on the opportunity. So I would tell you, when we look at diligencing, I'll just say uh, science opportunities, that's where you have to start with the basic science, then you have to do things like what's the competition, what's the patent situation. Um, one of the biggest hurdles with anything in the medical space is the regulatory side of things. In the US, that's the FDA, and no matter what people think, the FDA is always gonna be longer and more expensive than your budget. I, that I can guarantee you. Okay, great. We have about uh, eight or nine minutes left, so what we're gonna do is just starting at the far end with Augustine, come right down the panel, Take a minute each. What is the I idea or area that's most interesting to you that you would recommend someone in the audience that shares your interest get focused on digging in with diligence? So I'm gonna be harping on the same area again. <laughs> but it'll be cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Um, so within that area, I think you can divide that into two different segments and it would actually require a completely different types of due diligence um, and also um, really thinking about how you incorporate them as part of your portfolio. So one would be the cryptocurrency element and, you know, think about them as currencies. They are publicly traded in a way, although not in the traditional sense. There are exchanges that are being built to allow for regulations around how all of these transactions are, you know, supposed to be valid and not kind of manipulations types of transactions. Um, and then there's a second part, which is blockchain. Blockchain is all about the technology. 
as Barry mentioned. And the types of investments as you're doing your due diligence and also investment reviews would be very much focused and similar to joint venture type of investments. And you know, you can invest in a group of uh, portfolio companies instead of trying to identify the unicorn investment on your own. Um, but the area is also quite developed at this point, right? So there are a lot of other places where you can go to where you can actually invest and co-invest. Um, you know, when you ask about how we think the, uh, about... I think we should give, we should move, move it to the next party just because... Okay, I just want to say alignment of interest is everybody very important. Everybody gets 15 important. minutes of fame and one minute of panel for their hot idea. Okay. <laughs> I should have sat at the end of the row. It would have made my life a little easier. But um, So... Uh, it, it, it's a highly uncorrelated, incre incredibly off the, the grid, no pun intended, um, sector. Um, uh, it's, it, it, the entire global sector's got about $8 billion of market cap. Two companies represent like 80% of it. Um, but I think it's gonna turn, and I think it's gonna turn large. Um, and I have some involvement, to be fair. Everybody talks their portfolio. But I, I would take a look at the uranium sector. Um, you know, there, there are literally almost no bankers left in the sector. There's almost no analysts back left in the sector. Uh, you know, Cameco is one of the largest companies. It's not trading much more above its low. Spot's moving up. Private market deals are being done multiples above, not multiples, but significantly above spot. Um, I just think it's unloved, and, it's, and, it, and when it moves, man, it, it, it moves. Great. Thank you. Kevin? Three areas we're looking at real fast. Uh, digital agriculture, we're substituting meats for, uh, by uh, vegetables. Mung beans, you heard it here. We're big in mung beans, guys. Uh, 4D printing, some uh, old guy comes up to me and says, you teach at Cornell and Stanford Business School? Global innovation? He says, what do you know about 3D printing? I said, what do you know about 4D printing, Buster? And uh, the uh, third one is, uh, is uh, what's it, 4D, digital agriculture, and drone products and services. Drone domes. Uh, I had some guys walk up to me and say, you're going to need a drone dome because the drones are going to become such an issue. Saudi Arabia, folks, drones. DYI can carry a, a ton payload. Look into products and services. It's going to be a huge. Okay, thank you. Michael? I mean, for us, I think it's just important to continue to have deal flow. Right now, we're seeing 30 to 40 cannabis deals a month. And because there's such a screaming, and I mean screaming, all caps, underline, demand for capital in cannabis, you can structure amazing deals. We're focused uh, right now, we think that one of the lowest risk, highest yield components of the cannabis industry, it's dispensaries. They're not going anywhere. I mean, if you look at what's happening, it's pretty unprecedented, right? I mean, this is a federally illegal thing that is now what, 32, 34 states in the country have some form of state legal law around it? How many times in history has something been federally illegal, but from the ground up, consumers have wanted it so bad that they do it anyway? So what I would submit to uh, the audience out there is I think this is going to be the next boom. In fact, uh, what's going to happen is you're going to see people that have been purchasing this for years uh, mixed with the new demographic that's coming into this, which, by the way, happens to be baby boomers, is the fastest growing segment uh, of consumer base in this uh, marketplace. Um, I just think it's un inevitable that it's coming. And the reason why we're getting the returns we're getting is because uh, the world still has a lot of stigma associated with it. But when we fast forward five to 10 years, here's what we believe. Cannabis will not be looked at the way it is today. It will be looked at on the medical side as a miracle drug 
And on the recreational side, comparatively alcohol, the world will figure out the negative side effects of cannabis compared to alcohol. It's a far shorter and smaller list. Uh, so we're very convinced of that, and so we're going to continue to deploy capital in this space. And uh, I would use, I would think about Buffett's line. You know, uh, when consumers, uh, when investors are fearful, he gets greedy. When investors get greedy, he gets fearful. Investors have been fearful about cannabis for years, but that is changing rapidly. I mean, my dialogues with investors at I this think we, year. Uh, that was good. We appreciate that. Um, Jeff. Uh, <clears throat> I would just say that OPEC and the entire fossil fuel industry best projection five years ago of electric vehicles were 25,000 on the road by next year. There'll be 8 million, 7 to 8 million by next year. There'll be 100 million by 2025. That'll drive the price of oil to $25 a barrel. Short sovereign debt of countries that are producing oil outside of the U.S. and invest in battery and battery storage technology. That'll be the biggest industry in the world in the next five to ten years. Just have to find the winners. But All right, Mark. I'll take the other side of the biggest industry because I actually would suggest it's probably healthcare, but you can, you can be a tie with me on that one. So a few things about healthcare. There's something called the 80-20 rule that we've all heard about, but 80% of your healthcare dollars are spent in the last 20% of your life. So if I look in this room, I see a lot of people that are boomers and boomer plus. Well, we're going to be driving the healthcare costs very high over the next 20 to 30 years. And we, on our firm, do US and China, and the China with the one child policy that they implemented have a rapidly, rapidly aging society as well. So like it or not, we have a big problem. We're gonna have to figure out a way through technologies to improve health outcomes. As an example, in the US, we spend more per GDP on healthcare than any other country in the world. Our outcomes are number 16. So even though we spend the money, we don't get the results. So we see lots and lots of places in the healthcare system to improve things. And that's, that's where we're making our bets. Great, I'll just give you my uh, two cents in the last few seconds. So uh, categorically, in terms of an area, I think that uh, early stage venture outside of the super hot areas that are really you know, in the newspaper all the time, consumer tech, very interesting. There's a lot of big, big industries, huge sectors of GDP, like healthcare, training the workers in hospitals, training the healthcare employees, restaurants, how people consume and enjoy and eat and how the restaurant experience can be made better. Construction, how buildings are put up, how commercial real estate is leased and sold and consumed. We can go on and on. In those areas, there's tremendous opportunity from interesting companies with excellent management teams that actually, believe it or not, have trouble getting funding. And so the leverage is on the side of the capital provider. Whereas I love many public stocks, I love several late stage venture companies that have no trouble getting funding, maybe until this WeWorks debacle. And you know, those are just really expensive. These are really cheap, really transformative, and I think present good opportunity if you can do your homework and if you can take the risk of uh, digging in on that, on that kind of level. But I want to, want to thank the panelists for sharing their wisdom with the group and their experience and uh, have a great rest of the conference. <laughs>